Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, also has the truth about life and death. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Happy that you've joined us today as we study the Bible with you. Next 30 minutes, that's all we'll do is try to answer as many Bible questions as we can. And we've gotten those questions from you, from our viewing audience. So if you're a first-time viewer, let me explain how that works. You'll see a phone number, a website at the bottom of the screen. Use those anytime. Tell us what you'd like us to talk about. Uh, we'll take your question, put it in our stack of questions, and get to it as quickly as we can. Uh, if you log on and send us an email, it uh, makes it easy for us to get you a quick answer if you uh, want one uh, returned by email. Otherwise, we'll just uh, try to get it on there as soon as we can. So that's what we do. We get all kinds of questions, uh, real detailed ones about the Bible and real general ones about life and uh, see what the Bible has to say about it. So log on, call, let us know. You direct the program. I'm Steve Tandy. I got two helpers here that uh, answer the, all the hard questions. Jeff Martin's down there on the end. Hi, Jeff. Good morning, Steve. Toby Levering in the middle. Hi, Steve. Good morning, Toby. And uh, I'll take the easy questions and let them have the tough ones. But uh, we always give our viewers one first that's uh, not real serious, but is a little bit of Bible trivia. See if you know it. Uh, Jesus cooked breakfast. I don't know if you knew that or not, but he did cook breakfast at least one time. Uh, and the Bible tells us what he cooked. So uh, see if you know that, and we'll give you the answer at the end of the program about uh, Jesus' choice for breakfast for the apostles. And looks like Toby gets number one today. Yes, a, uh, a good question. How, do, how did we conclude that God was a male? Well, um, we know that from John chapter 4, verse 24, Jesus said in his conversation with Nicodemus that God is spirit. And so how you and I as human beings think about God, uh, whether it's his gender or his uh, color of skin or hair, we, we, we uh, uh, project all of that onto God in a physical way because that's the only thing we understand. But Jesus cuts through that and said, no, God, God is spirit. Yeah, he's not a physical being. In fact, when when Jesus, as God, came into the flesh for 33 years on earth, uh, he he uh, that was part of the incarnation. Was God the Word becoming flesh and dwelling among us? So, but God in His true nature is spirit. So, all of the things which we apply in the physical world uh, are not that way with God. It's a totally different nature. It's on a totally different level. However, how has God chosen to reveal himself? You know I keep using the masculine pronoun. And the reason I do that is because that's how God has chosen to reveal himself all throughout the pages of Scripture. Um, in Genesis uh, chapter 1, verse 27, I believe we have it on the screen, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So this, I, this, this, uh, uh, from Genesis forward, every time God has revealed himself, it's been in masculine form. 
there, then we get into the, well, why did he do that? Well, that, those are why God questions, and those are a lot harder to answer. But it's not just in Genesis. All the way through, uh, and over, over seven, 170 different times, God refers to himself uh, or is referred to as Father, taking on masculine. In John chapter 10, uh, Jesus would say, I and the Father are one. So he's acknowledging or acknowledging that way in which God revealed himself to be masculine. There are over 900 times where we get the, the word for God in the Greek, and that word is theos, which is a masculine noun. So all throughout the pages of Scripture, in the original language and in the English translation, that's how God has chosen to reveal himself. So how did we conclude that God was male? That's how God has revealed himself. Uh, you want to delve into why God chose to do it that way, you take that up with him. But uh, the point is, at least as far as the Bible goes, God has revealed himself in masculine form. And... Um, and you can ask further questions. Uh, we can ask those que- questions later, but uh, that's how God's revealed himself. Yeah. It still goes back to his spirit, though. Yep. Huh? And yes. he made male and female in his image. So you know, yep. there, there's no gender to it. That's yep. just what yep. he wants it's us to call him. Yep. <laughs> All right, Jeff, what's your viewer after here? Viewer wants to know, where does it say that you have to obey government laws? And this one can be pretty controversial, but there are a lot of verses in the Bible that talk about following the laws of the land. Specifically, I would recommend that the viewer reads Romans chapter 13. Uh, there's a lot of this concept contained within that chapter. We can't read the entire chapter, but specifically, it says that everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities for there is no authority except um, that which God has established. So we know that if, if someone is in authority, God put them there uh, for bad or for good. Uh, we also have 1 Peter 2, 13 and 14. Let's look at that one together. It says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. So again, the Bible is very clear that we should submit to the laws of the land. But very quickly, the question becomes, is there ever a time that we shouldn't submit to the laws of the land? And of course, the Bible has an answer for that too. If we look at the story in Acts chapter 5, the apostles were told not to teach in the name of Jesus. They were specifically told by the governing authorities to not teach in the name of Jesus. Uh, and they responded to that by saying, we must obey God rather than men, which was a bold statement. And of course, they preached anyways, and they suffered consequences because of it. So the Bible makes it pretty clear where that line is. As soon as the laws of men and the land contradict uh, what God says, that's when there's going to be a problem. And of course, that's when Christians will stand up and do what, what God wants them to do. All right, uh, interesting question here. Viewer says there are so many groups that call themselves Christians. Are they all Christians? Well, uh, at one level, I'd say yes, because if somebody says they are a Christian, Christian group, uh, that means that they're saying, I, I believe in Christ or I follow Christ, 
as opposed to I'm not a Buddhist, I'm not a Muslim, I'm not some other uh, religion, I don't worship some other deity, uh, I follow Christ. Okay. So in that sense, they're defining themselves as a Christian believer uh, as opposed to all the other options in the world. Uh, however, uh, down below that level, uh, our viewer says, are they really all Christians? And obviously, I can't answer that. Uh, I can kind of for myself say, well, uh, what he does or what he thinks or what he believes, that doesn't sound like a Christian to me. Uh, but luckily, I don't have to answer it. God or Jesus himself answered it. So let's look at Jesus' answer to this viewer's question uh, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. And Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So Jesus says, like I said, a lot of people say, Okay, I'm a Christian. Uh, Jesus is Lord. And Jesus says, not everybody that says that uh, is going to make it to heaven. Uh, there's doing God's will involved. Now, deciding where that line is drawn and all that is way outside my role. Uh, God will get that just right on the day of the judgment. But uh, to answer our viewer's question directly, no. A lot of people call themselves Christians. Uh, and Jesus says, no, they're, they're not really. So, uh Maybe as an analogy, uh, a lot of people says they are an American uh, compared to they're not French or African or whatever. I'm an American. But within that, uh, we have all kinds of divisive <laughs> battles about, no, he's not a real patriot. Uh, he doesn't believe this. He doesn't do this. Uh, we're divided over who's a real American. Uh, and that's a little bit like Christianity. You can call yourself one. Uh, but really following the principles of Christ and being a true follower of Christ is something a little different than just saying, yeah, I'm a Christian. Uh, let's see, we got to talk about studying the Bible here. Bible Correspondence Course is what we mention each week, and uh, we like to invite you to study the Bible with us. We've got some tools that we're happy to uh, share with you, absolutely free of charge. Here you see eight lessons that uh, you can go through first, and once you graduate from that, we'll get you a good, a nice certificate that says you're a graduate, uh, but then you get to go on if you'd like to and study some more courses. All paid uh, for us, by us. Uh, we'll even send you a stamp to return the lessons to us. So no charge to you, just a little bit of your time and effort, and you'll learn a lot of Bible. If you'd like to do it online instead of on paper, a good way to do that, just uh, log on to oneway.worldbibleschool.org. Get you started on some online Bible courses. Great way to learn the Bible. Phone number, website on the screen all the time. Use those anytime and let us help you know your Bible. All right, Toby's turn yeah. again. You were asked the question, why did the writings of the Bible <clears throat> stop when they did? Well, my answer to that is that we might have an unchanging word from God. In other words, it's final and complete. We get the final you know, everything that needs to be said and written down 
uh, is written once for all. If you think about it, if there was a you know a new book added every year, one it'd be a long book, but two, it would be really challenging to keep up with things. Um, if you um, follow government or law or politics or anything like that, you know there's a number, thousands of new laws written at the local and state and national level every year. Uh, it's impossible to keep up. You have to have professional people, lawyers, who keep up with the new changes in the laws. Uh, there's a lot of uh, frustrating process there as laws change. So with God, um, once we are in the New Covenant, we have uh, a collection of writings that we call the New Testament, and as those things were completed, it's one final word, all of the instructions that we need to know for anyone who would come to Christ uh, for all time. And that was basically mostly settled within the first century, which is very encouraging uh, to know that the promises that the the Christians had in the first century are the same promises that we have today. And that's that's a good thing. Um, There are, I know, groups that have uh, additions to the Bible. Uh, One group has a whole book, uh, and in it, specifically on the title, it says, Another Testament of Jesus Christ. What's the problem with that? Well, the problem is that other testament was written in the 1800s. All right, well, what about the Christians who lived from the first century to the you know, 1800s? What about them? <laughs> they didn't receive those additional instructions. The Bible is pretty clear that uh, the word that, uh, the, the faith that was given to uh, one was given for all. And it applies equally. And so there's not going to be any new additions, new additional insights or, or words. Uh, once we received that word, it was full and complete and final. Let's look at Jude chapter 1 verse 3. It says, Contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So we, we believe God's word is true and we believe that it is unchanging and we can put our hope and our trust uh, and our faith fully in uh, in its word and, and by following the commands. I hope that helps. Okay. Uh, I've got a viewer that asks, does Matthew 5, 34 through 37 mean we should not swear to tell the truth in court? Uh, let's start out by just going to that verse and seeing exactly what it says. It's Matthew 5, 34 through 37. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Uh, So the the key to this verse, um, from a context viewpoint, is letting your yes be yes and your no be no. When we think about our character as Christians, when we think about our integrity as Christians, we should be the type of people who, when we say something, we can simply say it, and people will know that, that that's true because of who we are, because we've, we, who we've proven ourselves to be. Um, many of us have, have met someone that, that has to promise over and over and over again because they're not a trustworthy person. Uh, Christians should not be like this. We should let our yeses be yes and our noes be no. Our words should be good. Um, But there's nothing in Scripture that strictly prohibits us from taking uh, a formal oath like the viewer is talking about, uh, swearing to tell the truth in in court. 
but we should be careful with this. Anytime that we're going to lay our hand on the Word of God, anytime that we're going to take a formal oath and use the name of God, we should be extremely careful because it's a serious thing that we're doing and should not be taken lightly. Uh, but the things that come out of a Christian's mouth should never be taken lightly. So, uh, no, I don't think Christians should avoid giving an oath in court. I think that's okay unless you're strongly convicted otherwise. Um, but whether it be in court or in our daily lives, the key is that we should strive to be the type of people that are honest with what we say and actually carry it out. Yeah, good uh, good explanation there, Jeff. And we all know people like that that they tell you, I'm going to do this. And you say, are you really going to do That's that? Right. You know? No, I swear I will. Yeah. 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 Well, are you sure? Well, I swear by so-and-so. And they just keep escalating it. Uh, that's yep. what Jesus was talking about. Is you shouldn't have to do that kind of thing. Just you say yes, you mean yes, and do it. Yep. <laughs> All right. Uh, question about uh, judgment. Viewer says, since we will appear before God to be judged for everything we've done, uh, will we have to answer for sins that we committed after becoming a Christian? Well. Uh, I'll get to answer that in just a moment. I think part of the problem here with this uh, question is our concept of judgment. And yes, it does say we will, uh, people at the judgment will answer for every thought and word and all of that. Uh, but it's not going to be a judgment like we sometimes picture with a big set of golden scales on the, on the courtroom table there and, uh, God's not going to go through and put all our good things in one side and then start putting our bad ones in. Uh, like this viewer says, well, we have to answer for all our sins we committed after we became a Christian. Uh, he's not going to say, okay, on July the 12th, you did this. On July the 13th, you did this. And get all done and see which it balances out. Now, sometimes we picture judgment that way. That's not the way it's going to work. Uh, God forgives sin. Uh, the Bible's very clear about forgiveness of sins. At baptism, uh, all of our past sins are forgiven, and the blood of Jesus then protects us from all future sins. First John chapter 1 and verse 7 says that the blood of Jesus continually cleanses us from all sin. First uh, John 1 9 says we, when we confess our sins, He's faithful and just. He forgives our sin. So forgiving means that he's not going to bring them up again. Uh, he's not going to list them all and make us decide, did we do more good things than bad things? Uh, maybe the verse in Romans helps us understand this as well as anything. Romans chapter uh, 8, verses 1 and 2. Paul said, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For in Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. There is no condemnation. And when he says, therefore, it's because in the first seven chapters, uh, he's explained uh, the forgiveness of Jesus and how the blood of Jesus covers our sins and all, that whole process. And so he gets to chapter 8 and he says, therefore, if you're in Christ... There's no condemnation. Now, so I think we shouldn't look at the judgment like 
a listing of everything we've ever done, uh, yeah, we're going to answer for it in a way. Uh, but if you're in Christ, there's no condemnation. Uh, the judgment's pretty well going to consist of Jesus saying, yes, this one's mine, and uh, enter in, good and faithful servant. Uh, Church of Christ sponsors this program, keeps us on the air. We like to mention a few each week that help us stay on the air. Today, let me mention some up in South Dakota. We broadcast from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Uh, a lot of uh, congregations up there that uh, appreciate the program and help us stay on the air in that market. Uh, so if you're close to Mitchell or Watertown or Brookings, uh, all have got a congregation of the Church of Christ that uh, believe in this program and think and study the Bible a lot like we do. So drop in and visit them sometime if you live in one of those communities. Or those are kind of small communities, so you may very well know uh, a member of the Church of Christ there. If you do and you see them uh, somewhere, tell them, hey, I was watching Know Your Bible the other day and appreciate you providing that for us good program and uh, thanks for keeping it on there. Of course, if you're looking for a church home, you'd be warmly welcomed at any of those churches or any Church of Christ in your viewing area. Drop in and visit them and tell them you heard about them on Know Your Bible. All right, Toby. Question about purgatory. The question is, is there really a purgatory? And my answer is not according to Scripture. You will not find the word purgatory in the teachings of the New Testament. You won't you can do a word search and you won't find it at all. Uh, purgatory is a teaching of the Catholic Church. I'm not an expert on Catholic teaching, uh, so I simply looked it up in a Catholic encyclopedia, and here's what I found the definition of purgatory to be. A place or condition of temporal punishment for those who, departing this life in God's grace, are not entirely free from venial faults or have not fully paid the satisfaction due to their transgressions. All right, if that's what purgatory is, then I can definitely say that goes against the teachings of Scripture uh, several ways. First uh, John 2, 2 says Jesus' sacrifice fully pays for all sins. It's full atonement. There's not any additional works that need to be done if you're in Christ. And uh, the distinction between the other distinction that they make between uh, mortal sins and venial sins and all of that is not a scripture, scriptural distinction uh, that is made either. If, if, uh, if there is purgatory, then what we're really saying is that the work of Christ at the cross was insufficient. Uh, that there must be works done additionally, addition to what Jesus did at the cross. And I just don't believe that to be true or biblical, by the way. Um, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says this <clears throat> pretty succinctly and clearly. Just as it is appointed for man to die once, after that comes the judgment. So from Scripture, we have this understanding that however it works... Once we, once we leave this world, once we depart, once your soul departs from the body, uh, wherever you're going is, is sealed. The judgment has been made. Now, what that looks like, some of that is a little bit unclear in Scripture, but we do know that once you die, uh, the judgment in your individual case will happen. Uh, purgatory is this idea that you, you can die and, and, and you're 
trajectory can be changed by additional works or prayers for people here, from people here, um, and that you can sort of pay off any additional debts as you go. And that's just not a biblical idea at all. So, no, I don't believe there's really a purgatory. I don't believe it's a scriptural idea in the least, at least so far as I understand uh, purgatory. Hope that helps you. Well, well answered there. While you were answering that, I thought you keep saying it's not in the Bible and it's not biblical and, and all of that. Uh, one time I was trying to figure out where that doctrine came from and reading some Catholic teachings and I finally found one place said it was basically it said it's a doctrine because it's a very comforting doctrine. Sure, sure. Yeah, and well yeah. it is. Okay, yeah. you get a second chance. Yeah. It's, right. it's, yeah. It sounds good, yeah. uh, but there's no biblical reason for it. It's just somebody came up with it because it's a comforting doctrine. And, yeah. Uh, not not a good idea right. to well, come up with comforting doctrines. Geez, yeah, and there are a lot of doctrines that are comforting, not necessarily biblical. But uh, yeah, the in Luke 16, Jesus talks about the story of the rich man and Lazarus. You know, he he wanted to change his eternal condition and couldn't, yep. and wanted to to leave and go back and warn his brothers and all of that. And uh, Abraham says, yep. it's just not possible. He was that. Yeah, it's it's. We're, <laughs> all right, Jeff. What time is it here? Uh, yes, what do B.C. and A.D. really mean? Um, and, of course, people usually think that A.D. stands for after death, but it actually stands for Anno Domini, which is Latin for in the year of our Lord, and then B.C. stands for before Christ. Uh, and, and by modern terms, you can see people using the terms B.C.E., which is before Common Era, and C.E., which is Common Era, much more to be inclusive and have what they call religious neutrality. Um, but there's still something that separates BCE from CE, no matter what way you look at it, and that's the birth of Christ and the subsequent birth of Christianity, which changed the entire planet, uh, and that's, that's the case. If you are a, an historian, it becomes very difficult to argue otherwise, uh, but that's what AD and BC mean. Yeah, that always gives me a chuckle when I see <laughs> yeah. BCE and CE because oh, well let's change the terms and maybe nobody will know we're talking about Jesus <laughs> but we are <laughs> yeah that's still the dividing line in time alright let's make sure we get our uh, trivia question answered today see if you got it right and today's question was uh, about Jesus cooking breakfast. What did he cook for breakfast one time? The apostles were out on the fishing and uh, they saw Jesus on the shore and when they came in he had cooked up a little fish and some bread for them. So uh, fish and biscuits uh, for breakfast that morning and uh, I'm sure the apostles appreciated it and they were happy to see Jesus again too. So uh, that's what Jesus chose for breakfast at least one time. All right, we're glad you've been with us today. We don't have time for squeeze any more questions in, but uh, uh, we will give you one more chance today or remind you to sign up for that correspondence course if you haven't. Uh, maybe the online course is more your flavor. We'll log on and get that started and start studying the Bible with us beyond our time here on the air. We're going to be back next week and answer some more of your questions, see if we can uh, get to the ones that you've given us lately. Uh, but until then, we're just going to take a week off and be back in a week, and we hope that you have a great week. The
Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.